Hey, good morning. It's so good to see you. Merry Christmas. And this service is a little lighter than the others, so you pick the right one. I don't know how you knew. We never know who's going to come for all the six experiences, but I just want to tell you Merry Christmas, and we're glad you're here. You know, this is my 33rd Christmas here at New Spring, and I just, whenever I get to this service, I always think, you know, God, thank you. We just made it. You know, I mean, all the driving out there and the shopping and all that stuff, it's always a good feeling to be here on Christmas Eve. Your shopping is finished, right? Somebody said no in the last service. So I think I told him our bookstore might be open. I don't know. But it's just such a good feeling to get here because um, oh, it's kind of like reaching the finish line and we can just sort of celebrate together. Like I said, it's been 33 years that I've been here almost at New Spring and, and I was 28 when I came here. I'm 61 now. So it's been kind of fun to watch Christmas through the eyes of change. You know, when you're young, Christmas means one thing and then you get married and you have kids. It means something else, you know, and then... Then you get a little older and your kids grow up and they move away and it's a whole different paradigm. And it's something to sort of navigate all those changes in life. I, I, was, I heard a story about a guy here in Wichita that his kids couldn't be here for Christmas. They were grown, they moved away. He had a son in Dallas and daughter in Chicago and they just both said, Dad, we're sorry we can't be there for Thanksgiving. You know, we, we got this going on and that going on. We got work and the kids and all that. We're just sorry we can't be there. So Christmas, the old guy got to thinking and, and the week before Christmas, uh, he called his son in Dallas and he said, uh, hey, I just have some bad news for you. He said, your mom and I are getting a divorce. He said, I'm finished with her. I've, I've looked across the table and seen that same face for years, and I'm tired of the face. I'm tired of the way she just talks all the time, talks all the time. I am finished with her. I'm through with her. I, I'm, you know what? I am not going to waste the rest of my life. I am out of here. And he said, you, and then his boy was saying, Daddy, you can't do that. Y'all been married 50 years, and you love mama. Yeah, I'm just, I, I don't even want to talk about her anymore. You call your sister and tell her we're getting a divorce. I don't even want to talk to your sister. So the boy calls his sister in, 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 in Chicago and says, Daddy says we're getting a divorce and he's tired of mama and he's through with her and he's out of here and I don't know what to do. And she said, let me call him. I will straighten him out. So she called him on the phone and said, Daddy, listen, my brother called me and told me what you're thinking about. That's crazy, crazy. You just sit still. Don't you do a thing. I'm calling my brother. We're catching jets tomorrow. We're going to be there tomorrow. We're going to straighten you out. The old man went in the other room and his wife said, baby, who was that on the phone? He said, just the kids. They said they're going to be here Christmas and paying their own way. <laughs> oh, the kids are smart too. I mean, I think that's what it's, if you've ever, if you've got kids or grandkids, it's like that's when their brilliance comes out as a Christmas season, you know. And uh, there was a couple of boys, elementary age boys, and staying overnight with their grandparents like a week or so before Christmas, and they're supposed to be saying their prayers. And the older kid, he says his prayers, and the younger kid start, starts praying. He's like praying really loud. Oh, God, I want a PlayStation 4 Pro for Christmas. And his brother said, what's that? And the kid just keeps praying. Oh, God, I want a PlayStation 4 Pro for Christmas. And his brother said, what are you doing, man? God's not deaf. He said, yeah, but grandma is. <laughs> Do you know, I, I, I came from the Dallas-Fort Worth area 33 years ago, but I've loved living in Wichita because Wichitans are more polite, aren't they? I mean, but is that changing? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it's like driving anymore, just shopping. And, you know, people that look perfectly nice 
and, and normal, but man, if they get upset with you or you just don't know, I mean, sometimes people just kind of do creepy things. And I was hearing about a young woman, young uh, woman, you know, about 30 or so, she was doing some shopping and there was an older woman in the store and the older woman just kept looking at her, you know. And the young woman was kind of freaked out by that, but the old woman came up to her and said, hey, I'm sorry if I'm bothering you. I hope, hope I'm not invading your space or anything. It's just that my daughter looks just like you and she had to move away and she's not going to be here for the holidays and I'm missing her so bad and I just keep looking at you and I just can't take my eyes off you. And the young woman said, well, please don't feel badly about that I understand how you feel, and, and uh, I'm sorry. Sorry your daughter can't be here. So anyway, they get their shopping done. It turns out they're in the sh- checkout lane together, and the older lady's in front, the young lady's behind. The older lady just keeps looking at her, and finally the young woman says, ma'am, is there anything in the world I can do to help you? And she said, well, I know this sounds crazy, but you can do one thing for me. You know, I'm missing my daughter and her just saying things to me. So after I check out and you see me start walking out the door, if you would just wave at me and say, goodbye, mom, that's all I'm asking. Would you just wave at me and say, goodbye, mom? And the young woman said, well, of course, I'd, I'd be glad to do this. So the lady checks out and as she's walking out the door, the young woman says, goodbye, mom. And then the young woman is checking out and the cashier says, that'll be $1,200. The woman says, what do you mean $1,200? She said, I only have $200 worth of stuff here. The cashier said, yeah, but your mama said you pay for everything. (laughs) That'd be a surprise, wouldn't it? Our series has been called Surprise. We started the week before Thanksgiving. And what we've begun to discover as we've looked at the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus into our world, is that it didn't just contain a surprise. And it wasn't just filled with surprises. We've discovered it was nothing but surprises. From the very beginning of the story, for actually for five weeks, we've been looking at the surprises of Christmas. If you want to check them out, you can get on our website. Have you ever thought about what a surprise is? I mean, Christmas is all about surprises. The wrapped presents, we want to see the surprise on our kids or our lover's face or our friend's face when they open the gift. That's why we wrap presents. We want the surprise factor. I love the unexpected show up. I'm sure when I watch television over the next 24 hours, there'll be, there'll be videos of, of military, deployed military who will show up unexpectedly for their family and we'll all, I mean, I'm not emotional, but I cry over that. The unexpected show up, surprise. Have you ever could just thought about the etymology or just the root concept of the the word surprise? Surprise challenges expectations. Surprise comes along and it changes the trajectory of the expected world. You, You know what it's like. You wake up every morning, you have expectations of what the day is going to hold. How many of you, though, like me, have experienced a surprise at 10 o'clock in the morning that changed the whole day or, on some occasions, changed the whole trajectory of my life? Surprises come along in the face of expectations of the law of averages and the norms, and surprises come along, and they rewrite the narrative. And the surprises tell us life is not what we thought it was. Well, when you open the Christmas story and you see Jesus coming into our world, it is God over and over and over saying to us, life is not quite like you thought it was. Jesus is here and he is changing the trajectory of everything. Well, as I said, if you've missed the first five weeks, you can always check out our website. They're archived for you. But today, I want to talk to you in the last installment of our surprise series about the final surprise of the Christmas story. And it has to do with the guest list. Hey, let me ask you a question just so we start thinking about this today. Have you ever been left off a guest list? 
Maybe, maybe it's when you were young and you weren't invited to a party. Everybody else was invited, but you weren't invited. You expected to be invited, but you weren't. Or it could be a wedding. You know, someone you know, friend, family members getting married, you're waiting for your invitation to come and your invitation never comes. I didn't know this until I was researching it for this message. But did you know about four years ago, there was a trend in weddings of sending out a you're not invited card? That's really true. I'm not making that up. Because weddings were getting more and more expensive and brides and grooms were afraid that people were going to show up thinking they were invited and it would, cause, it would cause the cost to balloon. And so they started sending out cards. I'm sure that was well-intentioned. They start sending out cards to say, you're not invited. And I kind of got intrigued by, by the, the reasonings for them. One of the genre of those cards would have said, uh, you're not invited because weddings are very expensive and we have limited budget. And we would love to invite everybody, but we're sorry, but we can't invite you. But the one that really I <laughs> liked was the B-list. It was like sending out a card that says, I'm sorry, you're on the B list. You didn't make the A list. But if anybody drops out from the A list, we'll put you in their place. Well, that only lasted a short time because it really backfired. But you and I know what it feels like to be not invited, whether it's to not be chosen for a pickup basketball team or not being invited to a family member's wedding. We know what that feels like. So here's the question. For the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah, in the manger, in the stable in Bethlehem, who gets invited? Who's on the guest list? I mean, after all, this is the biggest event in all history up to that moment. It is the cup point between B.C. and A.D. I mean, this is the moment when, for thousands of years, Messiah has been expected, and then finally, the Messiah is here. Who gets invited? Well, if you just ask that on a purely suppositional uh, platform... Before the birth of Jesus, I'm sure there would have been the elite, the, the kings and the, the religious elite who would have said, well, I'll probably get an invitation of that. There would have been others who would have said, I don't know, maybe on the line, maybe on the bubble. But there was one group of people who knew there wasn't a snowball's chance that they would be invited. They were the shepherds. You know, I say, I want you to understand something. We bake the shepherds into the Christmas narrative because we've just seen it all the time. How many of us grew up playing shepherds in a Christmas play? I mean, it's sort of like you expect them to be there. But I have to let you know that (laughs) the shepherds would have been the last people in the world to expect to get an invitation from God to attend the birth of the Messiah for several reasons. For one thing, they were the religious outcasts, and I'll explain why. Have you ever noticed how that religion has a way of starting with something true and then men get involved with it and they start making up a whole bunch of additional rules and after a while, it's, these are hoops that nobody can jump through? Well, that happened in the first century with, in Jesus' time because there were all these rituals about ceremonial cleansings. I mean, it, they, they weren't really anything that would make you hygienically clean. They were just all these rituals that you would go through and you had to go to the synagogue or the temple to worship. And the shepherds, they couldn't go. They were out in the fields. They couldn't leave and go to the temple to worship. And so consequently, the religious elite thought of the shepherds as being unclean. <laughs> well probably was a challenge to stay hygienically clean when you're out in the fields every day and you can't take a shower, but they were thought to be unclean. And you know what? They were told you cannot attend worship. You can't be at the temple. Well, they knew they weren't going to be invited. If you can't go to the synagogue or the temple to worship, you're not going to be invited to see the Messiah. 
And on top of that, they had a reputation for being thieves. You know what? I've studied this week just the shepherds' lives, and I honestly can't find anything to corroborate the idea that they really stole. But how many of us have learned with prejudice, facts don't always come into the equation? Well, yeah, they were considered unclean and non-religious. They were thought to be thieves, but what everybody knew, they were poor. <laughs> you talk to a kid when she's growing up and ask her, what do you want to be when you grow up? She didn't say shepherd. Shepherd was what you did if you couldn't do anything else. Shepherding was not a career. It was the leftovers of life. So here are the shepherds. If, if, if somebody had interviewed them, a man on the street interviewed and he said, hey, the Messiah is going to be born next week. Are you going to get an invitation? Not us. We're not going to get an invitation. We can't even go to the temple. We're thought to be unclean. People think we're thieves. And on top of that, everybody knows we're poor. We're not going to be invited. I'm not going to speak for you, but you know what? The honest truth is I sort of find something in common with the shepherds. Because when I think about a holy God and I think about the screw-up that I am, I, I wouldn't be surprised if God would tell me, go away. I mean, I, I, God knows stuff about me that nobody else knows. And if I'm God and I'm perfectly holy and Mark is a screw-up, if I were God, I would say, hey, I, I'm not picking you on my team. Go away. And we all know about prejudice and we all know about being judged. But here is the surprise of Christmas. God sends an angel to the shepherds to say, surprise, you're invited. You're invited. God is saying, I want you to come. I mean, look at this invitation. I mean, what do you expect out of an invitation? Watch this. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born today. That's the invitation to what? And then in Bethlehem, the city of David, that's where? You will recognize him by the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. That's the directions. I mean, what else can you want from a, an invitation? Invited to what? Where it's located? Here's how to get there. The shepherds were given invitations. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Let's talk about you and me in December 2017. What does it mean to us? This is, I love my job. I get to stand before you as a totally unimportant person, but speaking from my boss, God, I get to say to everybody here, you're invited to God. You're invited to Jesus. You say, well, Mark, I, don't, I didn't expect to be invited. I'm a non-theist, but you're invited. You say, Mark, I didn't expect to be invited. I have all these issues in my life. Put her there, partner. You say, well, Mark, I didn't expect to be invited. I tried religion and it didn't work. And on top of that, I mean, I've been, I mean, and people have just told me, go away. And the idea of God inviting me to come, I just don't know about that. I'm cautious about saying what I'm about to say. I don't, I don't believe in religion. Religion is a man-made nomenclature. It is a way of classifying particular approaches or, think, or thinking. When I open this book, it's not a religion. It is God, it is God as religion doesn't present him. When I look at the Bible, what I discover is that God loves to invite the uninvited. God loves to franchise the disenfranchised. God likes to welcome the unwelcomed. And God likes to choose those who are not chosen. That, this is the story of God. God is God's way of saying to everyone, you're invited. I know everything about you and you're invited. 
In our world today, and let me just speak of America, I am deeply concerned about the polarization of our nation. Angry voices on both sides yelling and screaming at each other. How many of us just love people and love our nation and keep wondering, how are we going to be able to survive this if we go on? I mean, we're to the place now where equality is almost... It's, it's almost a dream that we feel like we're never going to reach. And there's racism and hatred and bias. And with social media being so available, there's such, there's such angry, strident voices out there. And you wonder, is there any hope? Well, the hope is in Jesus because here is the thing. The Bible wrote the book on equality. I mean, I want you to think about this. As I said a few moments ago, we bake all these elements into the narrative and we we don't think about how strange it is. But now that you know what you know about shepherds, how does it strike you that kneeling at the manger in that first Christmas, you have kings and shepherds kneeling side by side at the manger? There is no polarization in the stable. There is no racism or inequality at the manger because God has said to everyone, you are invited. Well, maybe, maybe God invited the shepherds for another reason. Maybe, maybe the, they were the only people whose attention God could get. Bethlehem was a madhouse. There was all this noise and everything. And, and maybe the shepherds were just out by themselves and they, they were the ones whose attention the angel could get. Back in 1994, there was an earthquake that hit the San Fernando Valley and wiped out most of the, knocked off most of the power in Los Angeles. Have any of you ever flown? I've flown into Los Angeles many times at night. Anybody ever fly into Los Angeles at night? It's quite an experience because you look out the window of the airplane and there's nothing but lights. I mean, as far as you can see, there's just lights everywhere. I always realize I'm not in Kansas anymore. But on this night, Los Angeles lost almost all power, and it was dark. And at Griffith Observatory, they started getting phone calls about some weird, strange sky, this weird gray cloud in the sky. Was it something that caused the earthquake? And for a while in the observatory, they couldn't quite figure out what it was. And finally, the director realized that it was the first time a lot of Los Angelinos had seen the Milky Way. Finally, with it dark enough, they could see the Milky Way. Hey, I'm not trying to be personal here, but let me just ask you a question. If God tried to get your attention, could he get it? Could you put your cell phone down, your smartphone? Why do they call them smartphones? That's a good question. Can, can you put your smartphone down long enough? Can you turn off the video games long enough? Could you just like, could you just be still for a moment? Because see, here's the thing. Maybe the shepherds were invited because they were the only people who were quiet enough whose attention God could get. Well, there's no mistaking this. Let's just close by saying this. They were invited. And they weren't just invited to a religious experience, and they weren't invited to learn facts about Jesus. They were invited to meet him face to face. I know what I'd be thinking if I were out there. I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I'm definitely a lot of a contrarian. And I don't like things that are too existential. So if I'm sitting where you're sitting here tonight and you don't have, you know, or today and, you, and you're yet to like have a relationship with Jesus, I'm like, okay, Mark, I have a problem with your talk because these shepherds were literal, visible, tangible beings. They were invited to a literal, tangible, visible place to see a real material manger and a baby in the manger. It's 2017. I can't see God. I don't know where to go. What are you asking? 
What are you asking me to do? Good question. Does the problem of God not being visible, is that an issue for you? You might want to rethink that. Because the truth of the matter is you're invisible. I can say that I see you, but I don't see you. I see the bodies you live in. The real you, the part that loves, that feels, that's cognitive, that's decisive, that part of you that is you, that part of you is invisible. I know, hey, listen, guys, I've been to biology class in college, and I know it's like someone will say, well, no, that's the brain. No, 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 no. The brain is the organ the mind uses. No, no, you're invisible. You're not a body that has a spirit. You're a spirit that has a body. And when your body dies, you're going to go on living somewhere. So the part, it just become comfortable with the reality that you're invisible. You're a spirit. And God is spirit. And the spirit world isn't limited like the physical material world. God knows your thoughts. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which in my case is getting to be an easier and easier job. And the Bible simply says this, if by faith you will reach out to Jesus and pray. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're invited. Well, how do the shepherds react? Look at this. In Luke 2.15, when the angels left them and went into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. I like that. Let's go. I've had the privilege of being a pastor for over 40 years. And I've met thousands and thousands of people. You know the thing that amazes me the most? I never can understand why people don't go to Jesus. He's so different from religion. I mean, he loves you as you are. He knows everything about you. He still invites you to come close. He promises that if you'll come to him and ask for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven of everything you've ever done, that he paid for everything that's wrong in your life, and that you can be forgiven. It's a free gift. You can have it, eternal life, relationship with God, becoming his daughter or son. I'm always amazed at why people don't go to, like the shepherds, let's go. Got a theory, though. You know, when I was studying for this message and I thought about not being invited, here's what I discovered, that universally everyone is hurt by not being invited. It's just human. It's rejection. The feeling is hurt, but the response is anger. I mean, they're hurt that they're not invited, but it's like, I didn't want to go to your stinking old party anyway. I never, I don't, I hate her. (laughs) Really, it's just rejection talking. And I have friends who are non-theists and agnostics and Skeptics and people that used to, and I understand, they, they were in religion or they, they, they had some caricature of God presented to them and they felt rejection. So now there's anger. It's like, well, I don't believe in him anyway. And you know, as I talk to people, what I discover is people try so many gymnastics to figure out life when it would be so simple just to come to Jesus and ask to be forgiven. Would you bow your head with me, please? Last Winter, I told our church a story. I um, got it from Anderson Cooper on CNN, so just give him credit for it. He told the story of Wilfredo Garza. Wilfredo Garza lived the first 35 years of his life as an illegal immigrant. And he would come over to the United States and he would try to work, keep money, you know, get, keep, get enough money to keep body and soul together. And then he'd get caught by INS and they'd bust him back to Mexico. And then he'd come back to the United States and they'd bust him back to Mexico. And all this went on for 35 years. And finally, he got up enough courage to go into an immigration lawyer's office. And when the lawyer was interviewing him, he discovered that Wilfredo Garza's father was born in Houston. 
And he said to him, well, Fredo, you're an American citizen. For 35 years, you've been trying to break into a country, and it's your country. You're an American citizen. He said, you got the paperwork right here. Your dad's birth certificate is the paperwork. Why are we trying to break into life when in reality God has done the paperwork already? Jesus came. God in skin. God joined the human race. He ran the table for 33 years and lived a life we couldn't live and then laid it on a Roman cross. And the way God looked at it, the blood that came out of his body was a payment for every sin and dysfunction in your and my lives. And anyone who is willing to go, anyone by faith who is willing to reach out to that wonderful God, that person Jesus, and ask for forgiveness can have everlasting life. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're ready for that, you say, Mark, I don't understand everything about it. I don't understand everything about electricity, but I'm not going to sit in the dark till I do. If you're ready to call on him, I want to pray a prayer. You don't have to use these words, but these are words that call out to God. And if you want to join me, you can. Ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I come to you in response to your invitation. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for making me your child. 